if I could snap my fingers right now, I would change the word from grief mm -hmm. to love. Welcome, friends, to Heart to Heart with Michael, a program for the bereaved community. Our purpose is to empower members of the community with resources, support, and advocacy information. This season, we're taking a longer view of grief. Can we find healing? Can we find peace? Today's show is, if grief is a game, can anyone win? Here with us today to discuss this topic is our guest, Danny Mack. Danny Mack is a graduate of the University of North Texas and Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He is currently Director of the Spiritual and Social Services for Christian Care Hospice. Danny Mack, also known as The Happyologist, is a philosopher, theologian, motivational speaker, life coach, spiritual healer, and expert on rock and roll. The story of his overcoming polio and tragedy as a child gives him a unique ability to help people heal from a broken heart or motivate them to live their best lives. He has an edutainment style of speaking that combines the power of education with entertainment. His presentations are full of compelling insight and humor. Danny authored, If Grief is a Game, These are the Rules. Thank you, Danny, for coming onto our program. Oh, I'm so glad to be with you today, Michael, and talk about this important topic. Let's start with you telling us about yourself, specifically how polio helped you to become the person you are today. Michael, my journey began in 1952 when polio was an epidemic in Dallas. Uh, a lot of folks may not know the polio vaccine didn't come out till 1956. So in 1952, I was two years old. My parents took me to the doctor because they knew something was wrong. And then I was discovered I had polio and I was quarantined with the other children in the polio ward. And my brother was seven at the time and he didn't have any symptoms of having polio, but they took him to the doctor for precautionary measures. And as it turned out, he too had polio. He walked into the polio ward that afternoon and by that evening, he was in an iron lung. Three months later, my brother died from pneumonia. My parents were obviously devastated. My mother didn't handle grief very well. They began to try to find help. And at the time, uh, the dominant theory about grief was to try not to think about it, try to live as if they didn't exist, don't have any pictures of wow. them, don't talk about it. And so uh, that's what my parents did. And of course, that didn't work very well. My mother got worse. They ultimately gave her electric shock treatments and insulin shock treatments to shock her mind, to shock her brain, to be able to not remember. And so their whole goal was to not remember my brother. And so my brother's death was like the elephant in the room nobody talked about. And so that set me on a journey that propelled me into adulthood with a huge wound in my heart regarding grief and having emotions that I, I really didn't understand. Let, let me just say from the outset that I am profoundly sorry to hear this. And, and in some sense, I'm, I'm angered because I would say that maybe, maybe to the credit of the psychologist at the time, Maybe that was the state of the art of psychology at the time. What we know today is so different than what people did, you know, even just in the 50s, which seems so much like yesterday. And I'm very, very sorry that you had to go through that. Well, thank you, Michael. My understanding about grief evolved because as I became an adult and I would have these feelings and emotions I didn't understand and 
Then my mother died when I was 38 from emphysema. My father died when I was 40 from a sudden heart attack. And I was the only person left in my family. And so I had a huge grief reaction. And a part of the therapy I had to go through was I had to go back and revisit my brother's death that I'd never processed into my life. So I had several years of very intense grief and that propelled me into my journey to helping people who are grieving. Did you find that your brother's death and coming to terms with that was the key to making everything else fall into place? Yes, absolutely. I It's like there was darkness that I couldn't grab a hold of and suddenly the light came on is that mm. I thought something was wrong with me because I'd be very emotional mm-hmm. at times that seemed inappropriate to me, but I didn't realize I was, what I was experiencing for decades was grief. I just sure. never would have called it grief. I have to ask you this because against everything that you've just told us, everything that you've spoken about, all this grief and, and terrible loss and how you have to go way back to come to terms with it, on your website, you call yourself the happyologist. So how does that fit in? Well, as I began to uh, go through the process of grieving and then learning about grief, and now I'm a hospice chaplain, I've helped thousands of people get through the grieving process, I have found out that what grieving people want more than anything else is to be happy again. And they feel like happiness will never be there. They feel like this is the way I'm going to be the rest of my life. And so what I began to do, along with my study of grief, I began to study about happiness and how people can can have in their life, they can have grief and they can have happiness. It's like a railroad track that's going, and on one rail of the track in your day, you can experience sadness. On the other rail of your railroad track of life, you can have happiness and people can experience sadness and happiness all in one day, sometimes in one hour. And so I part of what I do is helping people get through the grieving process. Then I help them rebuild their life so that they can find happiness and allow grief to be a part of their human experience. One of the things that I hear from people is that from the moment of grief until some point later on, they feel like they can't get happy, that they don't want to get happy, that they feel guilty if they accidentally get happy. So how do you do this? Do you bring them together, the two concepts that you can at the same time experience both joy and grief, and that somehow from now on they're going to have to live together? How do you do that? One of the things that I do is I do grief support groups. And in the grief support group, having everyone share their experience and talk about their experience. It begins to normalize the grieving process. And then I slowly begin to point out to people they are already experiencing grief and happiness at the same time. Like you can go to a funeral and you can have tears, but sometimes at a funeral you have laughter. So there's tears and laughter happening in the same space. And so I point that out. And just like you said, Michael, They'll often feel bad because they're feeling bad. And then if they're happy, they feel bad because they're happy. It's a vicious cycle. You want to feel good. Everybody, that's, I think, the human experience. You want to feel good. But then something inside of you tells you, 
do not feel good. It's inappropriate, but it is not inappropriate to feel good at the right time. Do you, do you work with the with the idea that memories of the people you're grieving can make you happy? Absolutely. And what happens is, I think as we go through the grieving process, sometimes those memories will bring tears mm-hmm. to, to us. And so here's one of the ways I, I try to reframe that. You know, Michael, if I could snap my fingers right now, I would change the word from grief mm-hmm. to love. Because I like that. instead of saying what we're having is a grief reaction, what we're having is a love reaction. True, and very you know, true. When, you, when a part of love, there's the light side of love, which is, you know, the romantic side or the good side, the happy side. But also part of love is a sad side. It's like in the sixth grade when you're in love with that girl who doesn't know you exist. It's painful. <laughs> so, and so love has uh, has two sides to it. And so when we hear that song that triggers the memory, when we begin to have tears. I encourage people to say to themselves, "I'm loving them today," rather That's than nice. grieving. I'm loving them today. And when they tell talk about it, to say, you know. I was driving in my car today and a song came on and I just began to love my wife once again. That's nice. Which brings me to my next question. You're a, you're a self-proclaimed expert in rock and roll. So how does the music help with your work? What I found for people, and I really encourage them to listen to music because it interacts with a different part of our brain. So uh, one of the things that I encourage people to do is when they get up in the morning, play music that makes them feel good or makes them feel peaceful to start the day out like that. I do that myself. Home Tonight Forever by the Baby Blue Sound Collective. I think what I love so much about this CD is that some of the songs were inspired by the patients. Many listeners will understand many of the different songs and what they've been inspired by. Our new album will be available on iTunes, Amazon.com, Spotify. I love the fact that the proceeds from this CD are actually going to help those with congenital heart defects. Enjoy the music. Home Tonight Forever. Hi, my name is Jamie Alcroft, and I just published my new book, The Tin Man Diaries. It's an amazing story of my sudden change of heart as I went through a heart and liver transplant. I can think of no better way to read The Tin Man Diaries than to cuddle up in your favorite Hearts Unite the Globe sweatshirt and your favorite hot beverage, of course, in your Hearts Unite the Globe mug, both of which are available at the Hug Podcast Network online store, or visit heartsunitetheglobe.org. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Michael. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on Michael's program, please email him at michael at hearttoheartwithmichael.com. Now, back to our program. Danny, first of all, how did you come up with the concept for the book, If Grief is a Game, These Are the Rules? Well, one of the things I noticed, Michael, is that in the uh, Western culture, specifically in America, that there's no rules regarding grief. There's a there's a lot of support around uh, a funeral, but after that, people just don't know how to grieve. We don't really have any set traditions. And so people are left floundering, not knowing what to do. And I've also noticed that whenever children are playing, they're just playing, they'll just make up rules 
to, for their games that they play. And so I decided that I would take the concepts of grief and, and make them rules so that we could learn how to see grief in a way that makes sense and that we can process it. So I came up with the idea, if grief is a game, then these are the rules. And what it's done, it's helped people to be able to process, how do you go about doing this grieving thing? I used to be a teacher, and I used to tell my kids, I'm not going to teach you anything you don't already know, but sometimes you don't know you know it. And what I love about this book is that it's so many of these aha moments where, yeah, I knew that, but now I feel better because I see it down in front of me. And the things that I intuited are right. And that's a very validating thing that you've done there. Well, thank you, Michael. Uh, you know, when I do presentations, I talk about the rules. Rule number two is the one that really I get a response from the audience. It's almost like it's like a shock. You can hear them say, oh, my gosh. And rule number two is that you will lose everyone you love. Either they're going to leave you or you're going or you're going to leave them. And so people know that, you know, everyone you, you love is going to die. But you just don't really it doesn't really hit you. And just like you said, it's obvious people know it. But once you state it, you say it out loud. Oh, OK, I will lose everyone that I love. That one hit me like a ton of bricks, because as true as it is, and it is very, very true. We've talked about this before, that no matter how you think you can prepare yourself for somebody else's dying, when it happens, it's never at the right time, and you're always caught off guard. You are never prepared, no matter how much you know. What that means is that if you're going to lose everyone you love, they're either leaving you or you're leaving them, then grief is just a normal part of the human experience. It's the part of the human experience that none of us can avoid. And so if we can begin to see that there's nothing wrong with you, you're not crazy for grieving. There's nothing, you're not doing something that's wrong. You're just having a normal human reaction because everyone will experience grief at some time in their life. That's really true. I was giving a lecture a few days ago, actually. And, um, I was in the audience, and there was a widespread of age group there from very young to much, much older than I am. And I looked around in the middle, I just stopped and said, well, there's nobody in this room that's never really been there. And the conversation picked up, and you can see people connecting into the conversation because it's such a universal idea. I think the fear of it is also universal. The experience of it is, is part of being who we are. You know, if you think about it, everywhere you go, grief is in the room. If you were to go to synagogue or to church, every time you walk into that group of people, mm -hmm. there's grief mm -hmm. in the room. If you're having a family gathering, there's grief in the room. If friends are going out and hanging out together, I bet if we talk to everybody, there's grief in the room. There's always grief in the room. We just live in a world that wants to deny it. You know, one of the things we're doing here is we're breaking rule number 10 since we are actually telling the listeners <laughs> about the rules. <laughs> but the other nine rules are, as I said, very, very universal. And since our theme this season is finding peace after loss, how does knowing these rules help people who are bereaved come to a sense of peace? I think one of the things that it does is it helps 
to make sense of the human experience that we have when we're grieving and uh, it helps them to come to a place where they can be comfortable with their tears. And once you become comfortable with it, it's when you begin to have peace. Uh, Michael, you, you may or may not know that the tears you have when you're grieving have a different chemical makeup than tears you have when you injure yourself. I've heard so, that actually, and I've seen I've seen pictures of how they're actually different. Right, and so it's, and and the sharing that was folks helped them to see that when you're grieving and you're having tears, your body is releasing toxins, and you're mm. releasing the stress that you have, that causes you to come to a place of peace. And so instead of resisting your emotions, which causes stress, what what we encourage people to do is to feel their emotion feel angry, feel sad, feel frustrated, feel uh, just any feeling that you might have. And what happens is those feelings pass. Mm. And when those feelings pass away, they just kind of move right through you. You come to a place of peace again, and then your life gets settled till the next time a wave of grief comes. And just let yourself feel it. The wave moves through. And then peace comes again. How would you use these rules when you're counseling people who are bereaved? I have people read the book. And because each rule is just one page. And I purposefully made it uh, where it was short, uh, easy to read. Because people who are grieving have a difficult time reading. And so I start out by just asking them, you know, what do you, what is your uh, interpretation of rule number one or rule number two? And they... Mm -hmm tell me that how it affected them and what they thought about it and the insights they got from it. And then I, I helped them to, to process it. And so it has been an amazing tool because mm. it's so short and it's so brief and profound. It actually took me about 20 years to write this really, really short book. I wrote articles for uh, different publishings and I would redo the rules every time I did it mm. and I just did it over and over and over again till I got it where it was so concise that almost each sentence has meaning to it. You know, I would encourage people. I don't normally encourage people to deface books, but I would encourage people. Every rule is on its own page and there's lots of room there. I think when you read these rules, if you're moved by something or someone, if it reminds you of something or someone, or if it gives you, an inkling of, I need to say this to somebody, or I need to, to keep this with me. Write it down on that page. It seems almost designed for that. It's almost like a mini diary of your grief. That's a good way to uh, to talk about it, Michael. I think I'll use that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you are welcome to it. So <laughs> whatever stays here does not remain here. Please take it out and go far with it. I was five hours old when I had my first surgery. The only advice I can really give someone like that is to be there for your family. This is life and you have two choices. You either live it or you sit in a corner and cry. I am Anna Jaworski and the host of Heart to Heart with Anna. Join us on Tuesdays at noon Eastern Time on Spreaker, our blog talk radio. We'll cover topics of importance for the congenital heart defect community. Remember, my friends, you are not alone. If you've enjoyed listening to this program, please visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.org and make a contribution. This program is a presentation of Hearts Unite the Globe and is part of the Hug Podcast Network. 
Hearts Unite the Globe is a non-profit organization devoted to providing resources to the congenital heart defect community to educate, empower, and enrich the lives of our community members. If you would like access to free resources pertaining to the CHD community, please visit our website at congenitalheartdefects.com. For information about CHD, hospitals that treat CHD survivors, summer camps for CHD families, and much, much more. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Michael. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our program, please send an email to Michael Lieben at michael at hearttoheartwithmichael.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Michael. Danny, can I take this book and use it to go comfort a grieving friend? Absolutely. I think if you uh, took this book and gave it to a grieving friend, they would find it easy to read. It'd be so simple. And uh, you know how you give people a book and you think, well, they're probably not going to read this book. But with this book is so brief, everyone that uh, is that has it given to them, well, they usually read it. I have a, I have one person who's just taken a, about 25 of my books. When he mm. runs into a grieving person, he just gives it to him. That's excellent. You know, we, you were talking before about um, American culture doesn't have grief rules. I come from a culture uh, from Judaism that has very, very defined grief rules. And we're not going to go into that here because we've done a program or two about it already. But I see nothing that would contradict Jewish mourning and this book. And I would I would give this book to everyone I know. A book like this would have concisely put it all in place for me. And, and that's from my own personal experience. I wish I had had this then. And I would be happy to give out copies of this to anybody grieving. Thanks for letting us have it. I think it's a great idea. But now let's talk more about your website and your availability as a speaker and the things that you can do with it. My website is dannymac.org, and on the website it has a list of the um, presentations that I do, and I do a lot of different kinds of presentations. I talk about grief, I talk about happiness, I do some presentations on leadership, and I have uh, managed to incorporate all of those concepts in all of my presentations that I do. And so I think if people went to the website, they would find some, some articles that I've written. They'd find out more about me. and They would see the presentations that I do and how to get in touch with me. Where do you appear? In front of whom do you speak? I speak at conferences and seminars. And mm-hmm. I've been the keynote speaker for uh, many conferences. And so I go and... Sometimes I just tell my story about grief and uh, mm-hmm. and my presentation on happiness, which is probably the most uh, asked for one. It's called The Art of Happiness. Mm-hmm. I tell my story uh, about the grieving process and how I came to a place of understanding that I could be happy again. And then I began to tell people how to be happy. And you know what, Michael, mm-hmm. as, as well as our culture doesn't know how to grieve. The Western culture doesn't know how to be happy either. And I found it amazing that I uh, can talk to people who struggle to find happiness, even though they have very affluent lives, they struggle. And oftentimes they don't realize that uh, by feeling their feelings, 
like we talk about in grief, it can lead to a place of happiness as well. Why do you think it is that they don't know neither how to grieve nor how to be happy? Because that would seem to me two sides of the same coin. So what is it between the two that connects the two that we don't have? I think one thing is I, I just don't think we have any understanding. If you think about it, Michael, I know you'll you'll probably agree with me on this. What if we started teaching people in elementary school about grief? Mm. And what if we start teaching about happiness on an elementary school level? Then like in middle school, you're learning about grief and happiness at that level. And then high school and then college. And so just like we learn history on the level of elementary, middle school, high school, what if we start teaching people about grief like that? And so that they would have concepts in their their mind because you can only do what you know. And so so those two things, grief and happiness, are all going to be a part of the human experience. But we learn so much about things that we don't use. And I'm not a math-oriented person. I've never used algebra, but I wish I'd have had a course on happiness or a course on grief that would have helped me more as an adult. I'll agree with you on that, but I wouldn't want it at the expense of mathematics because maybe you and I are not math wizards, but because people did learn mathematics, people go to the moon. So I, I would <laughs> I would seriously like to not have both, and I think you're right. I think schools somewhere became places where they taught us things, and they're good things, and we need to know these things, but where they don't teach us is how to live. They don't teach us is how to be a cohesive society, how to accept our differences, how to learn from each other. There's so much that we have to offer each other. And since every culture grieves or doesn't grieve in its own way, learning about that, I think, is very positive. I think you're absolutely right on that. Yeah. And because, really, you can only do what you know. And so, like, uh, say, like, all the information you have, you have in your brain, when you have these experiences that happen to you, your brain tries to find a way to process that. Mm -hmm. If you have no information about grief and you experience the loss of a child, loss of spouse, uh, any significant person, then your brain tries to find a way to process that. And if there's no information there, you only do what your parents did or what your culture does. You don't know how to grieve. Well, I'm not sure about that because some cultures are very specific and very well developed and defined in their in their understanding of grief. And I come back to my original question, what is it with some cultures that they don't? Because I don't believe that there was ever a culture that didn't. We maybe have lost it in the West. And that is unfair for, for the future. I think that we can still learn from other cultures who do grieve well. I can only speak from my own personal experience. Yes, as when I grieved my daughter, when I grieved my father, I did what my family did. I did what they told me to do. But I found that the process that they gave me was a very good process that leads to ultimately returning back into your life and finding a way to find happiness. I think the Eastern cultures are better at it than the West because the West is built on the Enlightenment and reason and science. The idea of Western culture is up in our head and in our mind rather than in our feelings. Mm -hmm. So when, like when I watch funerals that take place in the Middle East, there's extreme emotion being expressed and, yeah. and there's, and it's public. We're in the, in the West, uh, it's private. We don't want to talk about it. 
we you know we want to have this funeral in three days we want to get it over with and get done with it and move on lastly if grief is a game can anyone win or do we just beat it to a draw i think we can win uh the game by understanding that what we're having is a love reaction and what we're doing for the rest of our lives is loving the person that we've lost. We look for ways to try to process grief into our life, and we look at it like we want it to just go away. We don't want, we just don't want to deal with it. And by coming to a place of acceptance that this feeling that I have is going to be a part of my life forever, then we can come to a place to where we interact with it in a positive way. Michael, when I speak to groups, I ask them, I said, if I could snap my fingers and take away your grief, but at the same time when I snap my fingers, I'd also have to take away the love you have for the person you've lost. Mm. Would you want me to do that? And they always say no. Well, Danny Mac, if grief is a game, these are the rules. Thank you so much for joining us on Heart to Heart with Michael. Thank you, Michael. I've enjoyed it. And that concludes this episode of Heart to Heart with Michael. I want to thank Danny Mack for sharing his rules and so much more with us. Please join us at the beginning of the month for a brand new podcast. I'll talk with you soon. And until then, please remember, moving forward is not moving away. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us. We hope you have gained strength from listening to our program. Heart to Heart with Michael can be heard every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. We'll talk again next time when we'll share more stories.